Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels, and we have a couple guests with us in the virtual studio this week. It is our, or they are, uh, well, I don't know, whatever. It's our buddies Fox and Brian Cogswell. They go by they. They go by they. It's true. No, that's not. Um, how's it going, everybody? It's party. It's party up in here. <laughs> Phenomenal. Uh, my pronouns are Brian and Brian. And Brian and Brian. Nice. One's, nice. one's with an I and one's with a Y. <laughs> right, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, we're going from, from the Midwest all the way to the East Coast here. We're linking through Ohio. You're in Ohio, right, Brian? Uh, yes, down in Appalachia. So if you hear the banjos, it's, we're down in Appalachia. Uh, from there over to the Mall of America with D.C., the Mall of America is in Minnesota. The Mall of America is definitely not in D.C., but welcome to, <laughs> to the East Coast. No, there's a mall, and it's, it's for America. It's uh, not it's, that kind of it's mall. It's called the Capitol Mall, but that's cool. The Mall of America. It's, it's the America's M. Mall. The M is capital. <laughs> yeah, it's Mall of America. Yeah, there's a there's a wide swath all across the uh, Eastern Time Zone, except for me, who am uh, I'm constantly on the move. I'm I'm recording from Texas. Oh right, that's right. Dennis is is not in Indiana. I gotta keep remembering that. Texas. Texas. Wow, it's, I thought uh, they seeded from the Union. Well, there's only one star, and it's it's for the whole oh. state. I don't I don't know. It's I have no bits state. about Texas. It's the one thing. How how is Texas there, Dennis? Is it warm? It's pretty warm. I think it got up into maybe the sixties, maybe the high fifties today. I've been try, trying to trying to go for a walk in between. I'm I'm outside of Dallas, so it's still not super far south. Uh, relatively speaking, I'm learning a lot of geography from this uh, this adventure, which is maybe not surprising. But uh, uh, yeah. I have heard I hear there's a rumor that when you when you cross the border, they give you a ten-gallon hat. Did you get a cowboy hat? Do you have one in your walking around? I I did not. No, I did go to a McDonald's and find only sweet tea, though oh, that could yeah. have been in Arkansas. I don't remember for sure. That sounds like Arkansas. I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, our Arkansas listeners out there, I'm sure they're like, ah, yeah, I mean, that's how they say yeah. it, by the way, in Arkansas. In Texas, right, they right. give you a glass of sweet barbecue sauce. Mm. Yes, sweet baby Ray's. But it's the sauce. it's the Texas kind, not the Carolina kind or the uh, St. Louis, Missouri kind. <laughs> I actually have family in in Texas. barbecue. People take that stuff very seriously. I had to look. You had you had posted where you were at around Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have I have family kind of north in I think it's north in Flowers Mound and Louisville. Um, mm. big, big people around there. So I got I got I got roots in the in the Dallas area. Although they're transplanted roots, they are those people. Uh, so wh- where are you? you're in? You're in Texas. Are you staying there for a while? I think so. Yeah, there are parks here that, with my, I don't want to get too deep in the in the details there, but the the campground plan that I'm a member of uh, has about six parks in Texas that I have access to, and so I can go from park to park without having to drive too far between because I can only stay a certain number of nights in one place. Oh. True nomad life. Yep, yep, sort of. Dennis, if those are six flags and parks, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I had I, I had, had a, a funny little story I didn't tell you about Dennis. Is that last week, uh, like weekend or something? Uh, those of us who are are friends with Dennis knows that he is a very active participant in our in our chat uh, channels for our our friend group. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, so. 
Um, I had noticed also Dennis is also one of one of our drivers with, with our, our board game, our online board game, asynchronous games. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm playing one game with, with him this week. And I'm the worst. I'm like the worst with timer. And I saw that the timer ran out on Dennis's game, which never has happened, I think, ever. I've never seen that happen. And uh, so I was like, oh, I wonder where Dennis is. And then I noticed that Dennis hadn't posted in our chat for like two days. Um, and I thought, oh, man, he's living that nomad life. I, what would happen if he got murdered out in one of those campgrounds? <laughs> so it was completely irrational. But just that little bit that you hadn't actually chatted for two days and right. your timer went up. I went into the red alert mode. It was like, at what point should I call his mom? Should I? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what happened was I went from northern Indiana. I was up at my parents for the holidays. And I went down to um, Bedford, south of Bloomington. And then I went to Tennessee, where my sister lives. And then I went to uh, Arkansas, as mentioned. I, I overnighted in a... Um, I don't know, it's some kind of like off-road park where people do four-wheelers and dirt bikes and stuff. I'm not into that stuff, but they are a member of a program where you can stay overnight for free, but it's um it's off the grid. There's no like electric hookups or anything. Um and it was remote enough that if I stood in just the right place, I could get one bar of service on my phone. But that wasn't really enough for me to like post or upload photos or load discord or anything and i also have gotten in the habit of of putting my phone in do not disturb while i'm driving otherwise discord stuff pops up and i'm tempted to reply to it while i'm driving which is dangerous (laughs) right and and i had stayed the night at my sister's place um and kind of hung out in the evening with them played some board games in person i taught them uh happy city which I think we've talked about on the show. We played it at Gen mm-hmm. Con. Um, and so I was kind of not super active um, on Discord that day. And it was like it was like six hours from my sister's place to where I stayed in Arkansas. And so I was driving all day and then I set up and didn't really have service. So I just, I kind of sat outside and made a fire and cooked dinner and read on my Kindle. And I couldn't really do anything online. It was weird, and but also kind of peaceful. And I was like, oh. There's stuff going on on Discord, but it'll it'll live, you know. It'll, it'll, it'll for, we will be here. We'll be here we, for for a day. And I for, I almost forgot that we had that game because we don't normally put timers on board game or any games. But whoever set that game up, um, put a timer on it, and uh, so yeah, that was, <laughs> one of those. Okay, so we weird. got. I wondered. I was like, is, I was like, is anybody going to notice? Because I I don't feel like sometimes I make jokes, but it's not like a thing where like people are gone for days and then come because our friends have varying levels of right of uh activeness on the right. on the chats but well we we know that, that dennis being off the off the grid for two days is too much for most of us so um we have um our guests today for 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 two reasons um uh we're, we're going to talk a lot about um uh that one show with the wheel and then hmm. we're going to talk about that one show with the nazis today um, but before we get to that, I wanted to say just a real quick kind of interjecting, uh, review that I had yesterday. Um, I played, we had a game night here and we played, um, uh, this game called, I think it's called black tower box. Is dark that the name tower, of it? dark black, tower, dark tower, the dark tower. Yeah. Is it, is it affiliated with Stephen King 
I can't tell you're doing or... a bit, but yes, it's totally affiliated with the Stephen King series. Okay. No, I, I see. I was told it wasn't last night. They all like Pat told me and Mike and everybody told me it wasn't affiliated with the, that series. No, it totally is. Oh, see, I was I was doing some like book questions and stuff like because there's characters and I was like Pat, is this is this from the book? Are they characters? He's like, this is totally not uh, affiliated with the book. I was like, oh, okay. So did now we know better. Ask, now we know better. Did you first ask Pat if he had actually read the books? I I, I assume know. Pat has read all the books, but I I guess not. Okay. All, um, all the all the books in the world. Well, all, yes. Usually he's the one. He he's he's the book guy. That's um, true. So now the now that Cogswell's gone. Well, I, I yeah now the Cogswell, yeah, now the Cogswell passed away. That's right. So. <laughs> I uh I didn't I didn't know the affiliation. I actually assumed it was. Now that it's confirmed, okay, cool. So it's called the Dark Tower, right? Um, mm-hmm. I so I don't want to go into the specifics of the game. I just wanted to kind of co- comment for listeners and those of us here who don't know what this game is. It's it's got such an interesting thing. First off, it's a co-op. That's what say, say everybody's on the same team doing a goal. You have to um, you're given a quest. There's random quests, and then you have to go finish that quest by the end of the timer, which is like six rounds or something like that. Um, and that's different every time. But what's unique about this game? is that there is a gigantic tower, like plastic tower, that stands about, I don't know, two feet tall, almost, that you put right in the middle of the game board. It's pretty big, and the base is like four or six inches round in diameter. And uh, so it's it's yeah, a nice, got, huge black it. tower that you have there. It looks, it looks like Soren's tower, because at the top it's got spikes and everything. Um, and the, the, there's also, it's a, one of those games where it has, you use a laptop, so there's like um, you have an app that you play with, which mm-hmm. I didn't know either. Um, but it ties in really well in the fact that uh, it'll you, you push the button to say, okay, it's time to go and it's time to start, and then you battle through the app, like you you know you kind of do all the maintenance on the app, which is kind of nice. Um, but the app is in communication with the tower because the tower's not the tower in the middle of the game isn't just a piece of plastic. It's got all sorts of Bluetooth and electronic components in it. And internally, it has pieces inside of it that move and doors that open uh, based on what happens in the app. <clears throat> so throughout the game, at the end of your turn, you take this little like, um, it's a skull is what it is. It's a very tiny skull. And you drop it at the top, into the top of the, of the tower. And that signals to the the tower that your turn has ended and then it, it does a, a, a myriad of different things. It could just stay in the tower, like get caught in one of the chambers in there. Um, it can cause the tower to actually spin, open up something, dump it into, dump the, the, all the accumulated skulls into one person's lands. Uh, and it can trigger events on the app. The app will like light up and say, you know, a huge earthquake happens or fire and stuff. So this piece in the middle of the board is highly interactive. And I've, I've never played hmm. a game that had that and a Bluetooth thing and actually be a really good game too. It took us, we were learning and watched the, uh, the video. It took us about 20 minutes to watch the video on how to play and an hour and a half to, to two hours to play it. It's I think we'll play it again. It, it, it's pretty good. Fox, have you played that game? I know you saw it. No, I haven't. I know the company Renegade, uh, not Renegade, um, Renovation? Oh gosh, Restoration, Restoration Games. Restoration made it. because it. Yeah. Return to Dark Tower was was a game that was made in the '80s, and Restoration mm-hmm. Games' whole mission is to find those old gems and update them, which is a really awesome 
noble cause. Um, and so, no, I haven't personally played it, but I know they spent a lot of time, at least two years, trying to make the rules a little easier to understand, um, integrating more co-op components, things like that. So it really warms my heart to hear that you enjoyed it. I, I, I will say this. Watching the how to, how to play video and seeing the book, I was like, "This is this is a lot. There's a whole lot here," and I actually was tired and fell asleep twice watching that video. And then we had to go back and watch it again because I just couldn't make it through. Not that the the how to play guy was boring or anything. He was like he always is normal. It's just there it felt like there's a whole lot, and then when you play it, there isn't. I mean, it's just one of those that like they they tell you all these rules. But it's pretty self-explanatory as you play it through, and it says things on the on the, the board that you have in front of you, and tells you step one, step two. All the rules are kind of right there. Are uh, Are you saying you fell asleep twice in a twenty-minute video? Yes, I did. I, I was watching I it think, in the bedroom, and I just fell asleep. Like, okay, I got to start again. I think that might say more about you than the game. <laughs> it was, yeah. I was. I just could not keep, keep my keep my attention on that. Um, sure, sure. Honestly, legally, I think that's one sleeping experience. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You, you can't turn them into two. That's that's one sleeping experience. Yes. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the the it, it was it was hard, and and I did say it wasn't just me. I think Pat had not been able to make it through it, and Justin also was having trouble getting, getting through it. Mike even didn't watch it beforehand because he was he was a lot. Um, mm. but it it really again I I say that only because don't be I'm I'm trying to communicate to not be intimidated by the rules. Uh, once you get into the game, it it all seems very simple your choices on your turn are very small and simple so you don't have to be overwhelmed with a lot of stuff and turns go pretty quick um, even with our group Uh, so yeah fun game good good to play now i know that's it's connected to dark tower thing i also trotsky said that the uh creator is one of the same guys that made gloomhaven is that right fox gloomhaven Uh, well that would be isaac childress i don't know if he was a consultant on the on the game or not but it's certainly possible yeah, I, I'm only saying that because Trotsky mentioned it. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I wanted to pass that on. Say thumbs up for that game if you get to play it. I've had some other friends I know play it separately too, and they liked it. Um, I, I'm assuming it's a pretty expensive game with the way that works, but it's it's fun. Okay, so we're here today with our two buddies um, and to talk about. We're going to start with. You know what? I'm going to get it out of the way, guys. Let's talk about. Let's do our movie first. <laughs> Uh, this week's movie, what do we have, Dennis? You want to talk about it a little bit, what it is first? Uh, yeah, this is a movie called Mother Night, two words, from 1996, uh, based on a book by Kurt Vonnegut. It's about a guy who pretends to be a Nazi. He pretends to be a Nazi. Sounds yeah. like you... not, a, not a fun thing that a lot of people would do. No, no. Um, do you want to Do you want to try and summarize the story? Actually, let's let Cogswell do that. Brian, you recommended it to us. Can you tell us like an easy synopsis of what this is? Okay, so uh, the guy falls on a, a guy born in born in America, but his parents go to Germany. Um, he grows up in Germany. All his friends are Nazis. He becomes a famous playwright. He marries a woman there, um, and he just wants to just not be political, not be political, and mm-hmm. then. Someone offers him to become a spy. His wife dies. I kind of forget the order of that. Um, and then it's so the rest of the tale is a moral morality tale of of was he he was pretending to be a Nazi, 
but he was pretending so much that did he become evil or not? So it's all set as a memoir. It, it, it opens with him in, uh, captured by the Israelis and his trial is going to start. And it's, but, but, but there's, so it's a dark comedy and it's, the whole thing is such Vonnegut's voice first. Step back. You got to remember that, that Kurt Vonnegut, who wrote the book in 1960, was an American soldier who was prisoner, the POW in Germany uh, during the firebombing of Dresden, which if you read Slaughterhouse-Five, you know that. So when he goes on his stuff about maybe both sides are bad or there's bad on both sides and all that stuff, it's because he was firebombed by the Allies as a prisoner. I, I will say, when, when I saw the trailer for this, we watched this the, the trailer after, I think Fox was watching it, and we all decided to watch it once. Um, it was, um, I thought it was going to be mainly about like his fall into this role of w- what he becomes during the war. Um, it, it, that actually didn't happen. I think it, it, the very beginning, it went really quick, and most of the movie was after the war, um, mm-hmm. which I was surprised about, I will say. Um, what'd you think about this one, Fox? You watched this one, didn't you? I did. Um, and I, I told this crowd, you know, I, not that, not that I know every movie that's ever been made, but I do consider myself a bit of a scholar in terms of the movies that have come out post 1980 or so, just kind of studied film. And I've seen a lot of different performances, even obscure movies. And I not heard of this particular film. I know it wasn't really a box office success, but it did get critically lauded when I looked into it and things like that. And I did find myself, <clears throat> somewhat engaged by the performances. This stars uh, Nick Nolte, who was at a higher point in his career um, as Howard W. Campbell. This is the person who is a playwright living in Germany. And his role <clears throat> is to give these speeches. So he even says this line in the movie, it was the ultimate dream job when he's approached by an American spook played by John Goodman. The, the task before him is write these speeches to sort of propagate the Nazi agenda and give these compelling speeches to the nation um, almost in the same way that, that Goebbels was pushing forward with Hitler and, and we still do today in our own countries, these sort of rousing speeches of nationalism and things like that. And Nolte does a really interesting job of becoming um, you know, hesitant to this cause and, and almost um, not, not so much in defiance but in denial that – World War II is coming. And then to watch his role where he taps into his own um, expertise and genius to create these rousing speeches and become this icon. And to those who haven't seen the story, the, re- the way he becomes the spy is by translating um, spies' messages through these speeches. So as he's giving the speeches, even people in America are hearing them. And while he's you know, capturing the heart and soul of of nazi germany he's also transmitting information to the americans that's how this sort of goes but the majority of the movie is about the aftermath once that has concluded you know what is his role in the world as someone who the american government can never confirm that he did these things because they want to keep that in their back pocket um and also, there are those from Nazi Germany who revere him as a hero for all the good he did in trying to bolster morale. And Nolte does a really interesting job as he tries to navigate that. Um, again, I'm going to use the word denial because I think that's a lot of what this film is about and him being faced with the reality on both sides of what his impact was. Um, I'll pause there. But I, I enjoyed it. I have more to say. But, but that's sort of um, what I appreciated the most was Nolte's um, – 
again, journey through those feelings and those realizations. Yeah, there, there was a, there was a lot of heavy acting, I think, in this one. And you're right, Nolte did great. I actually liked um, the female. Uh, it's not spoiler, I guess. It's kind of the spoiler. The female at near the end or the the middle of it. Um, That's lead, uh, she Krista. Was, it's Revy, but uh, Krista Dunst played her as a child. Right. Then, Cheryl yeah, Lee her is the actress who is probably most yeah. known yeah. for Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. She, oh, okay. I thought oh, she nice. did really good there. She also did a nice uh, bit bit of acting throughout that. Uh, and had a lot of kind of crazy, um, passionate scenes. She had a she lot to do. Yeah, not there. Yeah, and and she did do a lot, and I I felt she was good there, and for not always being in it the whole thing. Um, Dennis, what do you think of this? Um, I don't know that there's there's a lot I can add that hasn't already been said. Um, there's there's you know kind of a lot going on in the story. Um, I'm always kind of fascinated. Uh, with ideas of like writing and 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 verbiage and creativity and and the the sequences early on when um uh Nolte's uh Campbell character falls or not really falls but uh I guess sure falls into the role of this of this character this like very charismatic in a way that doesn't I mean, aside from the fact that the references are and the and the message and the and the the specifics of what he's saying are particular to this era, to this audience, it doesn't feel dated in terms of what a, you know, a propaganda artist would sound like today. He's maybe, you know, more calm than I'm not going to name any names because we don't talk about politics on the show, but um, then a modern, you know, political pundit shock jock kind of character. Um, and uh, one of the things that was was uh, kind of fascinating or, or whatever for me was the specifics of the code, the code system where um, they're giving him the, you know, whoever is 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 running the the spy network gives him back his speech with notes for when he should pause, make, you know, little sounds or coughs or clear his throat. Um, and, and that is what's picked up on the other end um, and decoded as the message. So while he's, um, he's functioning as a transmitter of coded messages he himself has no idea. He has full deniability of whatever the messages are. Um, they say that later in the movie when he's talking to John Goodman, who's his sort of handler, that um, the 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 spies, the Americans, know know about his wife's death before he does, because he told them. Um, and uh, and I and I thought that was interesting. And then, yeah, as as you said, the the bulk of the story happens happens in the aftermath and um i think it's about in the 60s so it's just long enough um that uh you know some like the doctor he meets in his building has you know almost no memory of maybe not almost no memory but has mostly faded memory of world war 2 and society is is starting to try to move on and heal from that from that era and and Nolte's character is trying to just figure out how to 
how to live. Like he he basically has nothing. Yeah, um, there, there's that, that point. There's a really he, great he, scene when he when he went to address that when he where he can't move. He had, he talks about not he had nowhere to go. Like he has no he can't go forward. No reason to go forward backwards. They just stayed there for hours. That was kind of interesting with that one. Yeah, I mean that, the, that is that is pure. That is that is pure. I mean, and, and Vonnegut appears. If, if the people walking by on the street, if you know what Vonnegut looks like, he's one of the old men who walk by and look at the camera. Hmm. Uh, little little cameo by the by by the writer, but that that complete despair, um, very the very dark despair of not having a reason to go to, to do anything is right. Is yeah. so Vonnegut is just so. So, yeah. did you read this book, Brian? Did you read the? I um I, I was a complete fanboy in high school of Vonnegut. I mean, I read Breakfast of Champions in my freshman year, and then I read pretty much every single thing. Um, so, sometime in college, when I went to when I was at the IU Library and I saw this, I just rented it right there and watched it. And uh, that was actually the last time I've seen it. I saw it a couple times in college, and I haven't seen it in twenty five years. And uh, I had forgotten all the rest of the story. <laughs> I thought it was just the Germany stuff, and I had completely forgotten about the the, the, the trio of of just whack balls. You know that that you just see it, like the the fear of Harlem. What? Yeah. Oh yeah, the guy. Right, yeah. Right? It's just like that's such a Vonnegut character. He's just he's just poking at something else. Right. You know, social yeah. commentary yeah. poking about something else when he wrote it in the 1960s. Um, right. Uh, so uh, did, did did it hold up for you? Did you like? Did it, oh, I think you so. Watched yeah, it recently. It, it, I yeah, I watched it last night, and uh, it held up better than I than what I was expecting. Yeah, it it, it really I, did because because it because it's kind of timeless, right? It's right. it's a story about World War Two. There's it's not there's not a lot of like now references that would that would age out. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I, I think that I never would have thought. Well, even you know, I don't know. Dennis and I have talked about this before. There's some shows that, that are period pieces that still feel like they are made in like the eighties. Right. Can't recall any right now, but, but their hair is done a certain way, you know, and this mm. one didn't have any of that. This one, I don't, I could not tell you when it was made. I mean, I know when it's made, but I couldn't tell that based on, on just watching the show. It could have right, made but, it be, just yesterday. And I, and I would have not have known the difference because you're right. It just doesn't because it was black to match because, that. Because it opened in black and white. Uh, no, because yeah, yeah. it was made in the right. '90s, but about the '60s, right? So it's all the, they, they got the period right, and we know we're in a different place, right? Right. I'd be willing to and, argue and, this film would do better today than it did in 1996. I mean, with a little bit of smoothing out um, and upping the farce a little bit more, I could see this film resonating much more today. In the wake of films like *Inglorious Bastards* or other revisionist history, because this is not a true story. However, it right. does feature true characters like Adolf Eichmann and Henry Goebbels and, and people like that, Joseph Goebbels' route. So, I mean, I actually think I, I thought this is much better I, I, than, than I was expecting. Um, and I don't know why that's the case, but maybe we have a better appreciation of recreation of those things. But, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you could do this with uh, Tokyo Rose, like if she was a spy. I mean, that's the historical analogy, right? Right. If you guys know who Tokyo Rose is. Um, well, for me, I uh, I appreciate everything that's done in here and all the things that were said here because, uh, you know, it's, it's got great acting and great – it's got – you know, it was shot real well. Uh, timeless was the right thing because it doesn't 
It doesn't feel dated in any way. When it was made or shot, it, it didn't matter. It was all really done. And really got to focus on the story. Thought the writing was really good. But it is not my kind of movie. I mean, I, think, I don't think anybody was surprised about that anyway. It's, it's, <laughs> dark, it's a dark movie with very... I, Brian, I think you said earlier, what was it you said? Uh, like, it's a, you didn't say depressing, but you said, I think it's just darkness. A lot of existential. That. There's an existential crisis going on, but yes, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's it's, it's Vonnegut is very absurdist humor. Yeah. Um, and, hmm. and so, so for, for and so obviously it's dark, but it's absurdist. And, and we're, we're kind of in spoilers here. I guess we're in spoilers. Maybe the bell, but we're in spoilers here. I like, obviously it ends on a terrible note, right? It's, it's like, suicide of a guy just it, throughout the whole movie it was like very depressing right there, there was never any silver lining ever right there even at the very end i was like i had a little bit of hope there like because the john goodman character writes and says i'll stand up for you and i'll make this thing happen i was like oh it, it's gonna happen he's gonna be seen as a hero at least and ha- live some kind of life no he just hangs himself with that thing. i was like this is terrible and sad and but dark. I, and I will say the more that was not the ending I was expecting, but I to dive into that a little bit. I actually thought that was kind of brilliant because what I took from that, from my perspective, was that the the Howard Campbell character played by Nick Nolte got exonerated. Like he had he had something in his back pocket to say. Someone else is claiming that you are in the right. But he knows he did bad, mostly because of the. I was thinking about a really wonderful scene earlier on where he meets early up, on, yeah, where he meets the father of his now dead wife, and the father kind of lays out the whole message of the story. This father is a he Nazi does, general, yeah. and he says, even if you are a spy, you did so much for Nazi Germany that it doesn't matter. And that was an interesting message, and I think it. it I think it's why the ending is justified because. Howard Campbell has that information that John Goodman's character does not. So he gets this kind of weird, um, almost like it's worse that the U.S. government has has said, has given them the thumbs up, like what you did was good. That makes it almost a little bit worse for the Campbell character, which I thought was a really powerful ending. And it's more hmm. to Vonnegut's genius than anything else. But um, that really resonated. Two, two things there. Uh, the government never did. If, if you listen to what John yeah. Goodman says, he says, I am That's basically true. going against That's everything. That's true. To, yeah. to, I am personally laying myself out for this guy. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Which, also, which I like. And, and, and you'll notice him by killing himself means John Goodman's character does not get revealed as betraying his country. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But also he says – justice i would like to see that and he kills himself and i think that's the only possible ending because otherwise what does he do he goes back to a random room and just like lives there until he dies yeah i mean it also calls calls himself (laughs) (laughs) well maybe that's just maybe it's justice right maybe he finally pays for his crimes um yeah yeah yeah, it's 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 not bad it's not bad and 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 this is not i've I've had this on many other shows that we've watched it's like the difference between me saying something's good or bad doesn't mean that it's a good or bad movie because well, I, I just it's clearly don't know what a good other, movie. I don't know what other ending you would possibly have. No, no, no. That, that's it's not that I would change the. I, well, no, I know what you the other ending would be. The, the, Israeli, the Israelis say you're guilty and that they hang him. Yeah. yeah, no, no. It's he can do it or they can do it. Yeah, I don't think yeah, we're they're, they're, I don't think we're matter. fighting with you, Michael. I think it's just for sort of expounding about why we why we felt I will say a more a, a positive connection to it. Not nothing against your critical assessment. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I just, I just wanted to make clear that, that it's, it's not me saying that this is a bad movie in any way because no, it, it, it uh, is, a, it and, is an excellent movie. Um, it's, you, ju it's just not know, one that that I would watch by my own self or recommend. Because, oh, I'd never watch it again. I don't, I don't need more tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or it's not. I didn't have tears. I just felt sad and depressed, which is not a thing I like to feel. <laughs> you know. If, if you know that Vonnegut calls himself the son of a suicide because his mom committed suicide. Yeah, that um, sounds terrible. Having, <laughs> yes, yes, it's terrible. Um, and again, that—that's actually real important because I think I've had long conversations with other people outside of this before when talking about sad tragedies. Probably mainly as tragedies went to me, which is definitely something that I just can never get on board with. with tra any, almost any tragedies, almost. Um, and uh, and the argument has always been like, you know, this is a whole different way to look at stuff. This is a, you know, understanding this kind of realistic thing and not. It just like me just saying, oh, tragedies are dumb and we shouldn't make them is is like completely cutting off an entire real emotion and real life things of the world. Um, so I, I have to appreciate I personally have to appreciate these kind of movies, um, but because they need to be there. But they're just, you know, not my kind of a thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, good movie, if, especially if you like uh, Nazis getting their comeuppances, I guess, or kind of. If you, li <laughs> if you like Vonnegut, if you like Vonnegut. Yeah. Does he have, does he have other movies good, or books? Movies it's so they made hard of his to translate him. I, I think, I think Slaughterhouse five has been made into something. There's a short film. There's a short, maybe 20 minute film called, uh, uh, Harrison Bergeron Ber 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 or something Harrison like that. Bergeron. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I think uh, Slaughterhouse so, five is the only, um, is the only title that I, that I recognize. And I probably, like so if it's a short film there's a good chance i saw it in like high school uh freshman yeah. uh politics class or something I, I think oh man i think jailbird might have been made into a movie um there's a couple but but it's it's so hit or miss and and it's so hard to get what you need what you need is like this where you have a studio who's not afraid to lose a bunch of money um hmm. And try to win some awards, right? And put in it, it, this felt like a vanity project for somebody, somebody who loved Vonnegut and said, mm -hmm. "Let's get the sure. great actors in and just do this." And yeah, twelve people are going to go to the theater and see it. Yeah, it's not gonna, it's not gonna yeah. get the like mass appeal of an equivalent, maybe not equivalent of a similar uh, tragic story like um, Schindler's List. Right, right. That yeah, that well, has so that has that kind of that Spielberg esque, you know, silver lining in the middle of this, you know, horrific moment in in world history. Right. Yeah. I, but but you have the absurd, absurdist comedy in the middle, right? You have that Baptist preacher, the the Catholic guy, and the the, mm -hmm. the, the, the black. <laughs> that, that whole. You're right. That right. whole. I was I was trying to think the entire time you kept calling it a comedy. I was like. Why does he keep calling it a comedy? And I love that you just did that callback to those guys. Because you're right; those dudes are absurd. What the heck, man? Like, just with the, like the white Christian magazine that they put out or something like that was called. Or I was like, what is happening here? And I mean, just this, so the white. book is set in 1960, right? Uh, middle civil rights moment. You have a lot of uh, um, clan esque stuff, right? So he's making fun of them, but he's looping them in in the books along with like some of the Black Power, Black Panther stuff, mm -hmm. putting them all in the same box and saying, you guys are just like the Nazis. It's yeah, kind of a, I see what you're saying, yeah. Kind of well, a, they, they a were pretty strange bedfellows, kind of. That, uh, that one guy yeah. dies, that's even funnier. Like, what What the heck? The dude just died walking up the stairs 
bringing the luggage. I was like, <laughs> you're right. I get the absurd part now. Hmm. That's funny. For those at home who want to go and like say, hey, did other Kurt Vonnegut novels get made into movies? Don't go look up the listing and see both Slapstick and Hocus Pocus on there and think that those are Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> adaptations. You'll be sorely disappointed with what the films actually are. Oh, that's funny. We, we, those so, we watched books. Were they made into... We watched Hocus well, there Pocus. There are movies for the called Slapstick and Hocus Pocus. They're just not. Oh, okay. Just, okay. Slapstick okay. is a okay. hockey goon comedy, and mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus is about witches starring Bette Midler. They are not Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> books. And also, Kurt Vonnegut also wrote Time Quake, which is not a Roland Emmerich movie coming out next year. So. Uh, that's yeah. If you're going to read Vonnegut, don't read that one. That one's not good. That was one of his last books, and it just was not good. I say yeah, that as a fan. Awesome. I say that as a fanboy of Vonnegut. Just mm-hmm. avoid that's Time awesome. Quake. Okay, so uh, that what do we have for next week, Dennis? I forgot that we even looked at it. I think it's your turn. I think this, oh, was, this was uh, technically Brian's recommendation. Yeah, uh, this but is. It was mine is... on this one. So this week you get to pick. What do we got? Following net, Nazi death suicides. What do we got next? <laughs> cool. I'm locked out of my Google Sheets. Um, what did we have on the list? The, the, the uh, join the pity. The, do another Nazi one. <laughs> Sorry. Pile it on while we're there. <laughs> uh, Double down. All right. Have we watched? Oh man, this this can be such a such a absurd uh, uh, switch from the week before. But I know that uh, the movie Little Giants is on my list. Have you seen that, Michael? Oh, uh, I want to say no. I want to say it's that's a, one of the ones that I missed that I, a, I know everybody kids else has watched. Mo- it's a kids movie about football. Okay, so we'll watch that. It's it's my Sandlot, I think. Maybe. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Man, that makes me want to watch Sandlot again. And I'll see see if it holds up. Cool. Okay, Little I, Giants. I've seen Little Giants within the last three months. <laughs> you you have a kid, though. I, I mean, do have a kid, yep. Rick right. Moranis and... Um, Ed O'Neill. with children, Guile, Ed O'Neill, yeah. yeah. And John Madden in a cameo appearance. A lot of a lot of cameos. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, I think Trump is in there. No, that's neither of those are in the movie. <laughs> like, no, wow. no, you know, wow. Dennis is just naming things. You're right. Think, you're right. Trump is in there. Maybe Home Alone. Co- Donald Trump is in Home Alone Two. He's in Home he Alone is. Two. No, no, I'm confusing it with another movie that I watched at the same time with my siblings, uh, Little Rascals. Donald Trump's in Little Rascals. Yeah, in like one scene. No kidding. Wow. Oh, they That's, remade that. Some, yeah. Someone saw Little Rascals. <laughs> it was. It was on our it was on our rotation when I was I more know. than saw Mother Night, sadly. Teenager uh, or, uh... Oh my gosh! I, okay, so I, I did like that. That possibly Trump's in everything now. But next time we're going to see it's got Donald Trump in it or Big Trouble Little China, you know anything? Right. right. Okay, so next we got uh, this week is actually the big thing that everybody. Wants. This is definitely more positive kind of note here as opposed to, to Nazi Germany. <laughs> is um the the great big wheel now you guys have been reading this book forever on the amazon um series uh when did this come out early 90s this book series that right brian the first book came out in 1991 um the first and you were like a a a day one book buyer right of the first Uh, day one but like day two so so when book two came out is when someone gave me book one so 90, 1992 is when I started reading these, and 
every time a new one would come out, I would pretty much reread the series. Um, yeah. They came well, out. I guess we didn't announce it. Wheel of Time is what we're talking about. From mm-hmm. Amazon's Wheel of Time. I should have started that one. So you read the first so, book all the way through. And this is one of those ones. This is the one. And I've talked about this on the show. <laughs> yes, the first book. All the 14 first book. of them. The, the, right. That's, that's, that's kind of my point. I, I had, I remember this was mm, 2005. And I was sitting in a room with a, a guy who was also a, kind of a geeky fellow like myself. And we were talking about good fantasy books. And he said uh, that he said, you can read this one. This is one of the ones that he had read and that he really enjoyed. And I said, oh, cool. Is it, I said, is it like one of those books that's got a couple that you can read? Because I don't want to read just one. I want to read a couple. He's like, yeah, there's like 13. And I was like, what? And I said, is it that? Is it, does it have a good ending? He's like, it's not done yet. Like, okay. What? You're like, I don't want to read just one book. And he said, no, there's 13. And you're like, okay, hold on. There's middle hold ground on. here. Yeah, and it wasn't done. And he did. He said the thing that everybody else had said. It's like, and we don't know if the guy's going to make the rest of them before he dies. Right. Kind of like what they did with Martin. Right, what we're and, still doing well, with Martin. I mean, and like, this actually did, right? 11, like but... he did die. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. He died after Book Eleven, and then Brandon Sanderson came in and, and uh, wrote the final three. Oh my goodness! So it, uh, ha- now, be- question. We'll, we'll go into details in a bit, but just just overall, do you think that that, that Brandon Sanderson did good? With the, was he a good choice, and he he ended well? He was. He was. I think the perfect choice. There's yeah. one mistake in the first of the three he wrote. No, no. Uh, he had access to all the notes. Um, Robert Jordan, who wrote the rest of the series, his wife was his uh, editor the entire time. And Harriet is the person who chose Brandon Sanders. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was, she could almost be a co-author with because she was the editor of the books. Right? So she chose Brandon Sanderson. He came in. He got access to every note, everything, and, and all the words that had already been put on paper. So when you're reading it, some of it is, is him. But but Brandon Henderson said, he's like, I am not going to try to write like Jordan. Yeah, right. Because he knows that he couldn't, and it would look almost like parody. It wouldn't match. Mm-hmm. So other than getting, like, one of the main character's voices wrong, just, just the voice in his head, it's just like, it's a little too... Yeah, that's what I would have said, too. Like, the first... Um... The first book that that Sanderson wrote, the I think it's well, I don't want to say that's sort of a spoiler, but the voice of one of the characters sounds a little, a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, after but, that, but he fixes it, it in the next two. But mm-hmm. that would be the one you read it and you're like, this isn't the same guy. Uh, this isn't the same author. But other than that, it's it's it, the tone is the same. Everything is the same. You could tell he writes differently. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. Number now, one, he, it takes him three books to finish it, whereas Jordan, it would have taken him another ten. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Everything is says, a little more concise. Everything. Wikipedia says it was planned originally planned as a six book series. So, yeah, I, I get uh, what you're saying. Jordan. Though. Yeah, Jordan would have told you at cons years ago. He's he. That's why the first book ends kind of weird, is because he wasn't for sure if he would get book two or three. So now, you can now this read book one. Yeah, as it's like a standalone. A, it's like a Star Wars situation. Like the, yeah. the now this this does, this doesn't. This doesn't spoiler anything for for us non book reading people because you guys could like tragic endings as well as heroic endings. Do you feel that Brandon Sanderson gave as Dennis says it's hard to stick the landing. It's hard to get the ending, right? It's hard to get endings right. You feel like the ending was right on with Brandon Sanderson? Uh his writing Robert what he Jordan, wrote there at the end. Robert Jordan said that he wrote the ending before he put down the first word for the first page. So Okay. It, 
I don't think Brandon Sanderson had a whole lot of discretion when he finished the book. Yeah. Like he had to fill in some of the things, but but most of the outline was already there. So the, for the ending of the whole series is pure Jordan. It's it's how you get from all these moving pieces in book eleven to to, to to make all these pieces get to where they need to be for the final battle and for the the resolution of the entire story. Right. Cool. Okay. So to set this the rest of this discussion up, we've got here. Um, the, the kind of the key reasons why we have our people on, on tonight is that Dennis it, has read the books mm-hmm. and um, Brian has read the books, all of them. So you guys are old school, long time. When's the last book came out? When did 2013, I think something uh, like that it came out nine years ago. Yeah. Um, so, so you guys are old school fans of it. Read I'm, them a couple times. I'm guessing I was on the this? news groups at IU like yes. before. So Bar, super right? fans. I was on the news groups talking about, the the cavalry of of cavalry forces of the Andor forces versus yeah very <laughs> I, I would definitely call that a super fan for sure getting okay, getting, but, on the, getting on the message well, because boards. you had a year you right. had a year be- between yeah, the, on a, a message board yeah you had a, a year, year between a year between books and I, I I think we talked about this when we had Pat on but I came to the series in about 2008 when uh, some friends in my World Warcraft guild uh, recommended it started listening to it and then. About a year, year and a half later, um, started hanging out with uh, with people in Bloomington again, and and met. I think I had met Brian before, but we started hanging out more, and then found out that he was a reader too. And I was like, oh, another person in real life who has met, you know, because <laughs> I because I lost touch with my my WoW people when, uh, uh, you know, the guild sort of disbanded back then, and so it's like, oh, hey, and then there's then there's this group. What do you think happened? To, you know, it was all this theory crafting. Um, um, kind of stuff between, between every book. Yeah, I, I, I will say just as a, a side note, there, I think a book a year is pretty good. I mean, that's well, it, consistent. No, and... But it wasn't a book a year. It was a book a year for the first three books, and then four came out a little bit later, and the next one came out a little bit later. And by the time number eleven comes out, the first one comes out in ninety one. This is when Jordan gets his blood disease, and everything starts to slow down. Mm. And it's like a book every two years a book every three years now this is the cover the, the cover of um game of thrones the trade paperback at the very top it says this is brilliant robert jordan and that's the only reason i read um that book game of thrones. as as because oh it's going to be another year before jordan comes out so i'm going to read this book that i'm sure will be done <laughs> yeah yeah uh, at some point Right. Say, I was going to say one or two years between three, even three years between books for people who are Martin fans. It sounds like a lightning break. That, that would be beautiful. Yeah. Right. But, okay. So, so, so it kept each book kept getting the, the, the space between each one just got longer and longer. Mm-hmm. Well, because of in, his health kept in contrast out. to that with this conversation is myself who is, has not read anything or seen anything besides what I described as my mentioning it. And Fox, you had also not read anything or, seen or knew anything about this right that's correct i had heard rumblings about this uh series when it was announced because of the friends that i have so i've been on the buzz train since since uh its inception but no i had no prior knowledge to the series uh, n- neither have i i mean i didn't know really what it's about except it was fantasy and i still kind of don't necessarily know what it's about uh, and i've watched the first season um, but now we have Amazon has put out this kind of, I think it was a pretty expensive, something like $10 million an episode. Is that, that right? Um, for this, this, um, I think right now it's one of the most expensive things that Amazon's ever put out until their, um, 
uh, it's either the Game of Thrones thing that they're doing. I think is going to be more is going to beat that out for uh, mm. per episode budget, uh, but it's very expensive. And they put a whole season out, and the whole season's out now. And we're going to talk about that. Does this um, take place just the first book? This yeah. season one. Yeah, this is just book one. And, and yeah. Does it end like book one ends, where, kind of where this ser- show ended, with season one? In sequence of events, yes. There, there are things that happened in book one. Um, characters that were introduced that I we're not going to get until uh, season two. Some that we'll never get because they're not important. They're you know Tom Bombadil sure. kind of characters. Right. Um, but in terms of like the the high points like the the starting the start of the story and the end of the first book um the end of the 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 series is very different from the ending of the book but but chronologically in terms of events um that's the that's the timeline we have in season one okay so we're we're gonna start with fox on this because clearly the other two fans are going to be fans <laughs> no, matter, no, no matter what. So n- not to saying that you're not a fan Fox, but yeah. so generally overall, how'd you feel about this, this new fantasy show on Amazon? My thinking is that it, the show has not yet figured out the tone and the audience it wants to appeal to as it's trying to spread itself really wide. And I understand that that's a common um, problem that a lot of these book series have when they're trying to get right out of the gate. Like Game of Thrones, even in the first season, while while lots of people latched onto it, wasn't really sure what aspects of it would be appealing to others. And it changed course throughout its various seasons in terms of highlighting certain things and diminishing others. What I find about Wheel of Time is that there are there's a lot of great lore. There are a lot of great characters. There's a lot of great interplay. What I feel that the show is lacking is time and breath. By that, I mean I felt like I needed much longer to spend with these characters and a little bit more exposition that I'm sure the um, the books had. And it, it just felt like I was being rushed through a lot of names, a lot of places, that there is goodness and inherent genius within the world building that I wasn't given time to explore or appreciate. So mm. my my overall summary to this is I see a world here that is rich and interesting. However, I don't know it's given the proper time and to use a culinary term like fat and salt in order to give it the flavor I need to stay invested. Am I confident that it can write the ship and I'll get into season two um, and, and that the showrunners will take this feedback and somehow expand the story, let it go a little bit longer, let it breathe a little bit more? Yes. As of right now, I don't know that Jordan or Sanderson would say that it covers the amount of material it should given what we've seen on screen. Mm. I... I, I will follow that up with my thoughts by just putting, uh, I agree. That's all I can say. I mean, I, I don't have, I really don't have a whole lot to add. I think that was exactly the way I feel on everything you said there. The only thing I would uh, add to that is that I guess the audience is early twenties. I think I mentioned this to Dennis before early twenties, but that's just guessing. 
because they're not entirely certain where they want their audience. It, it feels like they're trying to really hard to keep it down to a like a PG uh, thirteen kind of show, um, but then not. But it's not. Doesn't feel like that novel is is necessarily. Yeah, that's that's a really that. good example of what of what Fox was saying, where it's they're not quite sure where their audience is because the the main the main group of characters in this show is I think uh, Michael Yu and our buddy Trotsky referred to it as a as a D&D party adventure kind of thing which yeah. made me flinch a little bit but that's only because I'm <laughs> very familiar with these st- these stories and these characters and I have uh some weird biases about D&D um but the the main characters in the books are like what 16 to maybe 18, 18 something Brandon like that parent are all 18 they're within three months of each other uh Gwen uh, is two years younger two and years younger. is like 25 so, yeah, so it wasn't she's 20, 20 it wasn't 20 years old that they had because like that was a magic number in the movie, in the show right the the characters are are aged up so for various reasons in the storytelling which is fine that's um I mean if we I think at some point we'll get into some details there are changes very similar to how I often talk about Lord of the Rings um changes from the books that are you know some are good some are bad some don't really matter and I'm and I'm fine, whatever. So the, but, but my point is the, the main group of characters are this young adult um, kind of age. And so it seems like it should be sort of tailored to that, but I would bet money that the majority of the readers, because this is a slightly older, you know, book series, it's been done for over a decade. Um, the, the reader demographic is going to trend a little older. Um, and so that I think is going to, is going to affect that perception. I, I, as I'm watching it, I'm trying to, cause I've, I rewatched it again in the last couple days, um, in preparation for this discussion, trying to sort of check myself when I might be applying a different, um, how do I want to say this? I might be looking at it with different eyes than I did when I read it or listen to the audiobooks. I'm just going to say read cause it's easier. Um, you know, because I read it in my mid to late 20s, and I just turned 40. So I'm a different person now than I was then. And so to not to not be, you know, I was more invested in the kind of young people's love stories at the time than I am now. But oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that. you know, that's, that's just me and my bias. I, I think, um, you know, again, Fox makes a really good point, and I think above... The overarching, um, um, let's say, issue, though issue is kind of a strongly negative word, um, the overarching issue that I have is that there there just wasn't enough time. And so a lot of the specific concerns I have in certain episodes are about where that time was spent. Um, this is, uh, because I'm an audiobook person, I don't know pages or, or, or word counts, but... Um, this first audiobook was somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 hours long. And this series got eight one hour episodes where I think, I think it needed at least 10. Um, not, you know, n- not that it needed like 24 or something like that, but it needed more like game of Thrones amount of time, uh, to explore all these things, especially in the first season, because, um, as Fox said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of info dump and for um, somebody who read the books, who knows all the lore, I'm like, Oh, you're skipping this. You're skipping this. You're saying this and you're not even explaining what it means. And 
so I, you know, to me, partly I'm disappointed not to hear that stuff. And partly I'm thinking somebody who hasn't read it, who's just watching this is going to be lost. They're going to be confused. And I don't know, you know, where the reality is. That's part of why um, I wanted to get kind of equal representation of both groups here um, to try and to try, you know, to see like where that's just me and where, you know, some of that really is what I what I suspect or fear. Well, well, some of the some of the things too also has to do with presentation. And I was actually watching The Witcher this week, and mm. um, that 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 series makes me really really happy with fantasy type stuff. And and it's when I looked at that, I realized it kind of like it it that series season two is hitting all of the fantasy things that I want to see, like the way it looks, the way episodes go, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But this isn't about that. This that show. This is about. In season one, they spent a lot of money on the Witcher show, but it still felt like it was in sets. It felt like it wasn't like understanding the production values quite right or whatever it was. And that's kind of how this show felt. This feels like the the season one of The Witcher, where they're a new crew and they're they sure they spent a lot of money, but it still felt like a lot of the scenes were just sets with CGI. It's it's not really it's not really apparent where that money went because there are, there are things in the, in the writing, in the performance, in the, in the digital visual effects, in the costuming. We're like, what did you guys spend money on? They they did start filming this before COVID. Right. Yeah. And then COVID shut down their Croatia sets and stuff yeah and so some of this might just be people keeping people on contract for a year when nobody oh, can do it. oh that's yeah good, that makes sense that, that's, that's a true. good point i, I, I don't haven't, know how all that stuff works but. i haven't considered that i i do know i uh, correct me if i'm wrong here but i believe the break in production happens between episodes six and seven so um mm-hmm. okay uh we might get into details here so if you haven't seen this series uh, uh skip ahead here but um Wait, wait, before before we move on, Dennis, to the to the meat that I know you're moving into. I actually want to get I just want to make the point about where the where the um where the break in production happened because you okay, can yeah. you can kind oh, of okay. tell a little bit that it everything feels a little bit rusty when they came back. Um uh right right before they go into the ways. Oh yeah, okay. That's vague enough. Oh, that, that makes sense. That's when the, the actor had gone missing, right? Right. And, they, right. They and that'll okay. that'll probably be part of this conversation as well. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into a little bit more of the weeds that we'll let Dennis lead us in, uh, okay. I uh, wanted, because we did the, the non-book people, I'd like to get um, Brian to talk about, now, you're a super fan. You've read this before, well before it was ever like conceived to be a show or anything like that, or even thought that it could be a movie. I or, mean, those or news series. groups, people would talk about who you'd want. To be of course, right? Course. It's just like comic book people. Now, like right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so in that, that's the way I kind of see this. It's like I, I grew up with all these comic book stuff that I always loved, and you always had those fanboy things of who would play Venom and, and etc. Um, and now I actually get to enjoy and see those wonderful things in there, and I'm it makes me very happy being a fan back in the day and seeing that stuff on the screen. How do you feel about this series? It's only one season, one book out of you know a billion, sixteen or whatever it is. So you know, <laughs> obviously there's a lot more here that you know about, but how do you feel about this first season? from a super fan watching it on the TV. Remember when we talked about existential dread? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, we just talked about that. Uh, no, I, okay. So I watched it twice. I, I watched it weekly when it came out 
and then last week, this this past couple of days, I I binged on it, and it just I just I just didn't care. Maybe because I know ever all the character story arcs, right? And so, yeah. And, yeah. And, Is that because it's so, not getting all the deep parts that you you that you love so much? I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know because I liked it the first time, and then I watched it this <laughs> the, the second watch. I watched completely sober, and that might have played into it. <laughs> well said. Um, but I, I and me and Dennis have been chatting for since since it started, and I was always much more positive about this stuff, and, and knowing the limitations that they had, and I'm I'm super happy that they've they've done it and they have a budget, and it's not somebody doing animation in, in some back, stu- you, you know, like like the like the Lord of the Ring cartoons from the 60s or 70s. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. I'm glad it's not that. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah I, remember, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. And I, I'm super happy that they're doing this. But the second time through, I'm like, I don't know why anybody else would care. Like, mm. it, it feels like it misses all the things, right? It, it's trying to, like Fox said, try to find the audience. It's, it's too narrow for me, mm. and it's too rushed, and I'm not – but I don't know how I would do it is the thing. It's hard for me to criticize because I'm like, I think they're right. doing – a pretty good job with the amount of stuff they got and the decisions they're making, they're making. And I, there's only a couple that I'm kind of like that, that really misses the boot. But I, I also knowing that Brandon Sanderson is an advisor on the show and he's had commentary that he's posted about, about what he thinks. And there's only one thing that he would really change. Yeah. I, I really, of the, of the, of the main characters, if they could have just, not focused on all of them and try to make it some kind of mystery, right? Because because when the books open, it's all just from the kid's point of view, mm-hmm. right? It, it's just from actually Rand's point of view for mm. the first hundred pages, and then they get to Shatter Logothan that everybody splits up. And but, but still, even after they split up, it's from Nynaeve's point of view, from Rand's point of view, from from Matt, Perrin, Egwene, just them, just them. And so when you see something, everything is – they're from this backwater. So every time they go somewhere, everything is brand new. Like they go to this little city that has walls, and it's like – and everyone else laughs at it. Tom, you know, everybody else kind of laughs at them. They're saying this is a big city, and then they see other big cities. And, and, and so you get the world building, and it feels PG-13 when you start. But as you progress through the series, as these people become older, as these people become leaders, um, it, it gets darker. As they as they have to start making real world decisions, it mm-hmm. becomes darker. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get Game of Thrones dark, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think when we first started out, people thought, "Is this the next Game of Thrones?" They kept saying that it's the next Game of Thrones. I know. I I now that I've seen season one, I don't think it was ever that in that space. No, like, and the series you compare the two series, they're not. I mean, yeah, yeah. The I, only I, this one has this one has magic and fantasy stuff, and George R. R. Martin is a political writer. It's, it's all about people like the only yeah. the only similarity between Jordan and Martin's writing style is that both are very verbose and very like circumclusious in terms of well, just describing it, every little bit of trivial, maybe not trivial, but like, you know, describing all the clothes and all the rooms and all the food and it just on and on and on with the words. But but also, the, the, the actual characters both... and the stories and the stakes are, are very different. Between they, the two they, styles. they were both publishing at the exact same time. They're they're part of the same fantasy generation. Sure, yeah. The, the, the... Okay, Dennis, you got us. You got us to lead us through here. <laughs> I know you've got a couple questions for us between the the book readers and the and the non book readers. Um, but and I know you watched it. It looks like, it looks like Brian did too. You both watched it again. 
What questions mm-hmm. you got for us? Right. Um, let's see. Okay, so so for the people who didn't read the books, um, the, this first season spent a lot of time, I think, kind of teasing and playing with the mystery of, of who was going to be the dragon. Um, I've complained about this uh, before, probably more in our chats than on the air, but um, uh, it's it's clear if you've read these books and even if you've watched this first season of the series that the the world and the world building is is inherently gendered or I don't want to say sexed because that means something else. But th- like the the symbol, the Aes Sedai symbol is a yin yang with two sides like it's, it's very clearly here. And in the books, the dragon 100 percent unquestioningly is a man. The the series had decided to make it possible that the dragon is a woman, um, which is one of my biggest issues. With I think it breaks a lot of the other world building and makes some of these stakes not really make any sense. I don't quite understand what the uh, well, maybe not. Like there still is a purpose for the red Aja, but it's not quite as obvious. The dilemma isn't quite clear. Like. Uh, whatever. I don't. I don't want to get into that any more than that. But, um, the season plays around with who could be the dragon, and I wanted to know uh, from the two of you. I know Fox guessed at one point, and I didn't tell him because I didn't want to spoil it if the show was still sort of playing back and forth with that mystery. But I want to know from the two of you, like, at what points, which characters did you think that that person could be, and it, it's even. It's even teased at one point that it could be multiple people, which is, I think, wildly inconsistent with the lore, but that's me. Go ahead, Fox. What do you think? Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I, I, I always thought it was going to be Rand. Um, that's, that's who I guess. And I can, I can share the moment where it was, it was uh, more obvious to me. I apologize that I don't remember what, what episode this one but Rand had become imprisoned um with uh i believe it was matt um in in a in a small town and he's locked into a tavern room with the bartender that Mm. who had been been, um flirting with both of them and when he's knocked when he's locked in the room one of the things he has to do to escape is break down a door that she says uh cannot be broken you know, stronger right. men than you, yeah. than you have attempted to knock this down. They have failed. And he was banging at it and banging at it and banging at it. And eventually he breaks through. And to me, I thought, well, you know, if I was a writer, there's a good metaphor there, right? You know, the women have had this power for so long and he is literally breaking down the wall, the door with his strength. <clears throat> and that would be great symbolism um, for what I think the show is throwing down in terms of the female characters being able to channel having this ability to control magic and things like that and literally this character crashing through a barrier put before them Hmm. that seemed really on brand um, for fantasy novels of this era now that may be been me extrapolating and stretching it a little bit but it made sense to me given what i knew of the era of writing i have a that is that's that's the four kings in and it is the second time that uh, that ran unconsciously channels um 
he calls down lightning actually that that breaks down the door and that he's blind for a couple of days but well that's but in the book though those wait, wait, moments. wait yeah, if I yeah, may. yeah so yeah. he doesn't do that in the show though right like he just breaks no, down no, the no. door but, but yeah, they don't but even he, show no, like I believe the he stuff. he unconsciously channels at that moment right okay i don't think it it's like it doesn't show it. It, it the graphics do something to where he breaks it down and i think at the very the, the last episode when he's like going through all these different things like that's yeah, one of those moments. The the second and to it, last it shows episode, the, it shows the power. Then it shows that he's channeling. Then yeah, they right. reach uh, in the in the second to last episode when he talks. To, I think it's before he talks to Min. They go through a flash, a set of flashbacks of all the times that he channeled, and it's shown like from a wider camera angle with the visual effects added in. Um, I do have a follow up question to that. Was there ever a point that you considered either Egwene or Nynaeve could have been the dragon, or had I or or Pat or Brian already spoiled that the dragon was not going to be a woman. Uh, no, it hadn't been spoiled for me that the dragon would be a woman, but it didn't. I will say, like, it thoughtfully, it didn't make sense that it would be given what the show was throwing down in terms of the gender, um, call them roles. Um, that, yeah, that that's they, the, they were that's there. sort of my issue with that change is that, like, you can do that, you can add dialogue where Moraine says he or she, but. It seems pretty clear from the way they talk, from the way they react, that it's that it's going to be a man. Yeah, exactly. Because that's I, how the I, books again, are written. I apologize. I only watched the show once, but I remember pretty early on the the red um, uh, Sedai who, who confront the man who claims they're a dragon. I think it's in one of the early. Yeah, the very the, the opening, the yeah. whole the very first cold open. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's how it opens, and it, that did stick with me. Where I I sort of the language that was used there, um, hmm. it didn't it it wasn't lost on me that that seemed to be a thing. Um, so I, I you know while I I will say even in the modern era, and I understand the inclusivity, I I do think something is lost by by the idea of of making it them versus us and you can decide in your own brain who you want to put on either side of that um those lines those battle lines but i it, it, for me it always seemed like it was going to be the case it was going to be a man and and the other characters quite frankly like the writer in me thought well you know if i wanted to be really analytical about it they're not getting as much screen time as rand is i mean i hate to say that mm-hmm. but there is a i mean but i'm a i'm someone who likes to write um, television and so like I, you know from my perspective there there was a bit of yeah, that yeah um but i'm I, so i try to give you both answers there's sort of the intellectual answer that i like well it's you know i'm gonna do a little pitch meeting there like it's the main sure character. and the um and, and the and the and the screenwriter perspective <laughs> right but but if i'm talking as 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 only a fan watching that was the moment and i think i texted you right after that dennis was like i think i've got it um so yeah that's that's where it was for me yeah. I what, for for what, me what I I don't think it was ever a mystery. I mean I I was actually okay. surprised that it was supposed to be. I didn't feel that 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 their producers or anything did a good job of making it a mystery. I, I think they really tried hard, but I think from episode one or two, whenever they decide that these people and one of them is special, like the the chosen <laughs> one, I, I like. Well, it's that guy. I mean, yeah, he, he that... just felt like that's the guy. That's the um, guy. It looks it looks like the guy. That's a that plays into a thing that I haven't except mentioned that he's before. A redhead and redheads shouldn't be trusted. So well, no, they're the worst. <laughs> they are the right, worst. And right, they're, and right. They're historically weak. This was my 
so so go, going back to my my comments earlier about about rewatching and trying to trying to check my biases at the door um of course for me being a white male listening to these books i imagined all the characters as white unless they were otherwise described uh, right i got the sense that the borderlanders were you know vaguely asian and the well there are other characters that ha- or other peoples that haven't been introduced <laughs> yet but um the the thing that that first you know earliest thing that bothered me watching the pilot was that the two rivers looks like a gathering at the UN and i know that's not cool to <laughs> okay. say to be anti diversity or whatever but the whole setup is that these characters are like you know country bumpkins it's like the shire they're they're off in this isolated place and they should be you know for for lack of a polite way to say this they should be interbred into homogeneity like they should all look the same it's a it's a point in the books that rand looks different from everybody else they even allude to that when he meets the ogier loyal who says that he looks like an aielman like he's supposed to be a little taller and redhead when nobody else in the village is which I get on screen would be even more obvious to Michael's point of this guy's different. He's probably the main character. Um, and well, when his mother was an outlander, right? Uh, you see, and I don't, I don't think this is a spoiler. You guys could have she was a badass out outlander, right? But right, one the, scene I saw with her, the the cold open with with Rand's mother fighting. Um, you get that sort of backstory that he's not. I think that was the best scene in the whole series so far. I'll agree with that. Yeah, let's. um, That that That, seems like a good high production value. (laughs) That seems like a good opportunity to segue into my um, my other non questions thing. Was um, what were your? I I was going to do highs and lows, and I just named my biggest low, which was the the very. (laughs) colorful too i I hesitate to say this because it makes me sound like a bad person but it was very distracting it doesn't like i have no problem with a diverse cast it just doesn't make sense to me from a world building perspective um and and it just sort of ruined the immersion for me and made it hard for me to absorb or appreciate all those first three episodes that were that were released in one big chunk but let's go to um your your I call them highs, but like favorite moments, like moments in the show throughout the whole first season that, you know, you found stirring or emotionally resonant or really well written or, or well produced or, or whatever. Well, why, why don't we ask, why don't we ask Cogswell that? Yeah. We I mean, haven't heard from Brian for being a, a fan. <laughs> what was, what was the high there? The high, the, the high is the fact that it's getting Brian? made. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's sure. Then I get to see it. Um, I, you know the the three thousand year flashback. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Where they where they yeah talk I really, the, the I really like that. Yeah, that's the last episode. Um, was that in the last one or was it the the penultimate? Okay, when they go back and they kind of tell how the world was broken and what happened. Right. Um, it's a oh. shame. Did they make it more? The women didn't know if that was going to work or not, but but whatever. Um, they just weren't going along with it. Their factions weren't going along with it. Right. But just the design there made me think okay like we're gonna see some good stuff um the Sianchen invasion on the far western coast so that is the epilogue of the last episode mm-hmm. those ships the, come up and you the see very the, end with the ships 
the, the variant with the ships, that is, uh, those people are called the Sianchen. Um, that was, that was like, okay, okay, now we know where we're going with this. Um, a high point? Well, there's, there's some things that happen that I'm not for sure why, that, that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to see. Tarvalen. Just, just how they. I mean, in the first book, they don't actually go to Tarvalen; they go somewhere else and then Fardar. But um, th- those are my highs. Those are my highs. All right, um, Michael. What about you? I kind of said the high there that I liked that that scene when uh, Rand sure. is is birthed. I guess, which I thought was a <laughs> just a well shot, well acted. It told a lot. It gave me a lot of kind of history and stuff. It showed, you got to see the sword of like his dad and things like that. It, it pulled things together really well that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it was, it just, it was a cool scene. I thought that's something that I thought the series was missing all the way through was like things to say, Oh, that was cool. Or when we would go next week, this, that, which is the leads to my next low is that the series didn't have a lot of really like cool things. Like I, I can't even <laughs> look back and think of that series and like, Oh, did you see that? Like, you know, when, and we'll just say game of Thrones is another fantasy thing, or even the witcher. You're like, you can say, um, you know, this episode that happened, you know, and this thing, when, when she got, uh, turned, uh, from a, uh, hobbled person into a beautiful woman, you know, or right. the, the one where he gets the child a surprise, like you can, or the dragon came down and, and freed all the slaves, you know, things like that. Like there's, there's cool moments in these other shows. This one did besides that one, most of it was forgettable in the, the parts where it was supposed to be, I think supposed to be cool. It didn't feel so great. Like uh, I'm thinking of the one where they're in the they're in the tent and the girl tries real hard to like channel, but she can't because there's the evil guy got him captured. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. Supposed, I, I think that's supposed to be a really cool scene, and it just right. kind of falls flat. Um, yeah, the, even I, the town when they go into town, I thought it, that should be like inspiring and awesome, and it just felt like, oh okay. I, I felt more when they went into King's Landing for the first time, or when they, sure. you know, you go into other different shows. It just I just didn't get a sense of grandeur about this show that's that would be my low yeah as as i was re-watching uh these episodes i was making notes on each of not really notes but sort of pros and cons as things happened and most of the stuff i remembered and i reacted the same way but there were other things when i rewatched them like okay i was too hard on this the first time i see now where there were some little tiny breadcrumbs uh the, the case in point for that is episode seven um when there's what I called uh, CW stuff, there's a love triangle story. And I was like, what is this? This is nonsense. You're wasting our time. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, okay, I see where they dropped crumbs for this, but it was so subtle that by the time we got there, like, I was like, what is this? We've not seen, we've not seen any of this. And this is one of those things where you can't, uh, what's, what's the expression? Um, you can't unring the bell. Like I already know what happens in these love stories. And so any kind of build up or tension or will they, won't they kind of stuff is completely lost on me. Cause I'm like this, I already yeah. know, like let's, let's move on to, to the good stuff. I don't um, feel the actors have very good chemistry either so far. Like some people you get on screen and you got Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and they immediately are sparks and, I don't know if anyone yeah. feels like they're like best friends. They say they're best friends because they keep telling us they're best friends. I just don't. The feel writing like... is there. That's. I think that's. I I blame a lot of that on the rushed um, um, sort of storytelling. But for me, um, mm, in terms right. of in terms of highs, that 
the whole storyline with them, with uh, Egwene and Perrin being captured by uh, the Children of the Light, the White Cloaks. Um, questioners. Mm-hmm. questioners. The, the, question, the Questioners, the Children of the Light Questioners, which are a distinct subset of the of the children. Um, like, so much of that didn't work for me. It, it felt very contrived. Uh, Child Valda randomly leaves so that they can chat for a while, and... Um, Egwene's solution to the problem plays into an overall issue I have where the people uh, with no training at all have a much easier time channeling the one power than is represented in the books. I'm not sure yet whether that will be a a real egregious problem or is just a nitpicky thing for me as a book reader. Um, But I don't want to focus on the negatives so much as as into the... What was a a good thing you liked? Into the positives. Of course, the... Um, the the fight at Dragon Mount um, is on my list here. Uh, I loved the introduction backstory of Suan Sanche um, as a little girl with her father. Um, that was really good. Um, I liked the backstory of Menethrin when uh, the the young people are singing and Moraine tells the story. Um, that was different than it's done in the books, but the way that it was done in the show, I felt like I was getting what I remember from the books of the significance of the place and the people and what what she means when she says the old blood runs deep um, kind of stuff. That was really good. Um, and I liked in all of the battle in the pilot, all of the in the first episode, all of the fighting, all the battling that happens. Um one of the highlights of that for me is Rand watching his father quote unquote, watching Tam uh, sword fight. Like he pulls his sword out like this is a shepherd who lives up in the mountains and he pulls his sword and he's fighting and he's not great, but he's much more competent than anybody we've seen in this whole village. Um, aside obviously mm-hmm. from, from uh, land and Moraine. Um, and I thought that was well executed too. Like his performance, all of, um, I'm not going to think of that actor, but the actor playing Tam, um, all of his scenes were really good. All his conversations with Rand, describing the wheel and how um, a distinct characteristic of this of this world that Robert Jordan built is that reincarnation is real. And it's a thing everybody knows and believes. And it affects... Um, the sort of philosophies that people have that comes into play when you meet uh, the Tinker, the Tuathan, and their way of the leaf, and the you know what they believe in terms of the. I don't want to call it the slow march of time, but it's sort of the slow march of time, like as 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 they live and are reborn and live again, they just gradually baby step toward this ideal future um which is you know something you can have in a in a in a world where reincarnation is real and everybody and everybody yeah. knows that it's real um i, I guess think, can i say something about a scene you said there? yeah i like, i i think i i think i listed all of mine except i also really liked um the character of tom the uh bombadil no the the <laughs> the gleeman the singer um, I was a little mixed on his he introduction. Seems weird to me. I don't know where. where okay. And, and he felt weird because I don't know where he belongs. Like I don't know. 
Yeah, you know, like, I don't. The guy that was dropped in there, he seems like he's important, but then I don't know anything about him. I think he's gone. Yeah, I I probably shouldn't talk about him much because it's a spoiler, but it's a character that I liked in the book. So to, to see his portrayal, it was a little different from what I pictured, which has been true of almost all these characters except for maybe Lana Moraine. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I I think I listed I, all I, of my highs. One, what one about of your scenes that I I didn't? Well, one I didn't understand was the. I think that the production-wise, it, it should have been done better. But you said that you liked the backstory of the lady that's like the queen of all people. What's? I, sorry, I don't know her name. Uh, she's um, the head of the Aes Sedai. Oh, the Amarlin seat, um, Suan. Yeah, like you, like you, you had mentioned that you like how they told things. That as a as a person watching the show and not knowing anything about these characters, that felt really weird. Because I never had met okay. this person, they're giving they gave me sure. backstory before I met someone, and I was like, I don't know what's going on, who yeah. this is, or there was no relevance to me at all about that, and it didn't actually have any like real thing besides this girl who can channel went off to the hot tower, and all of a sudden now she's a grown up. Like I wish it would they they I felt they should have done that backward. They should have introduced her. We could have saw that she's something powerful and like and asked ourselves the question, hmm, she's interesting. I wonder what her deal is, and then they could tell us it. Right. I could, Instead, I they could like see put, that. put this. Here's her deal, and then they yeah, it's it's maybe it's maybe another thing where the the rushed uh, pace or or cadence of the episode sort of because the Amarlin seat had been name dropped a couple times, and rewatching it, I noticed more of that stuff. And of course, I know already yeah. who the character is from the books. Um, that episode that begins with the flashback introdu- introducing Swan and ends with. Um, Moraine swearing to abide by her banishment from the tower, exile from the tower, um, has has real highs and lows. Um, because as I said, I I really like that backstory, the performance between the father and daughter, and sort of trying to convey that wherever they live, you don't know where that is, but it's I'm pretty sure it's Tear. Um, yeah, it's Tear. Uh, the the where and they, they don't like the power. And they say they sort of allude to this in Loghain's trial later in the in the in the same episode, where the further you get from the blight, the further you get from um, um, Tarvalin, the more uh, antagonistic people are toward toward Aes Sedai and the One Power and all that. It's sort of like the further you get from where battle is happening, the more complacent and and peacenik people are um and so you get i felt like you got a lot of that world building and maybe that's just me or of course knowing that world building and just seeing it seeing it put on screen um and i liked all of the interactions between uh moraine and lan and then moraine going to her and them sort of changing that relationship a little bit it's not overtly romantic in the books um, but some of the clues are there in as much as they could have been in books written in the 90s. Um, and I liked so much of that to then end the episode with this Othrod exposition thing and, and very overt expressing of emotions on the parts of both Suan and Moraine in a way that just felt completely out of character, both for the books and for the characters that we've seen in the show, like portrayed in the show are, are both characters are very in control of themselves and their emotions, especially in public settings. It's part of what makes 
the the intimate moments with them so powerful to then have those emotions on display in a public forum uh really just you know, kind of spoiled all that for me uh sure. anyway uh, I, okay. i've been so, talking for a while I, I, we haven't heard fox's uh whether whether he had any favorite moments <laughs> i'll go fast <laughs> um so so i think i, I actually am going to echo um unsurprisingly a lot of what people said so i'm gonna go real fast i really liked the tinkers um i thought they were a fascinating mm. group mm -hmm. that i wanted to learn more about i really love this idea of them being pacifists and i thought all the actors who are part of that troupe did a really good job of explaining why they live their lives the way they do and gave me great justification for their actions, which is something that mm. I would have liked to have seen for some of the other groups already mentioned. Um, sure. You know, I think, I think for me, there was a lot of, that was like the best use of exposition where they gave background and depth to why it is they live the way they live and why they see the world they, the way they do. I could have used more of that um, paradigm grafted onto some of the other groups. That's part mm. one. Number two, uh, I'll agree with you on Tom. Um, he was one of the more interesting characters for me, and I thought the way he gave exposition was powerful. I thought he, in terms of the way that they used his dialogue time very, very nicely, where you had a, an elder character in comparison to the younger ones explaining the ways of the world in a way that I felt was natural, interesting, mm. Um, and, and engaging. So I, I liked, again, because I understand this is a show that requires a lot of exposition. So where I got it mm -hmm. well done is probably what I latched onto. Uh, I will echo finally what I did not like was the final episode where I had to watch it twice because um, I was very confused as to exactly what was happening and why. And I'm going to use my positives as an example. I needed a little bit more um depth into the rationality behind the actions that the characters were taking there just seemed to be a lot at stake because they were telling me it was and then people were doing things in manners um through a lot of monologuing that i could not quite grasp given the other breadcrumbs that i that i'd been given so far i don't want to use up too much more time but that's my assessment I, I yeah that's a good i mean uh, you know Maria Doyle Kennedy is a is an established actress and and her her performance there is great. Yeah, I I mean that's a perfect example. There is a lot of maybe not maybe not deep lore. I mean it's a a pretty good comparison the Borderlanders versus the the Tinkers the Tuathan. There's a similar kind of like I don't know if I want to say fanaticism but like really clear the the book series has been criticized sometimes for um, being uh, what's the trope people say planet of hats. It's like the star Trek thing where they go to a planet and everybody there is a mobster, right? Like the, the nations all over in the books have like this one defining characteristic that they're all that way. Um, but the, the traveling people and the borderlanders, it's sort of justified. Like the borderlanders are like, they're sort of like Minas Tirith in, in Lord of the Rings. Like, they're on the border. They're on the front line. So their worldview is completely colored by that. Um, and that last episode, which for me too is the by far weakest of the whole series, um, just doesn't have the time to explain any of that. Like, it's it's 
crucial and central to the character of Lan, who's had a lot of screen time, but we don't really get or understand um, enough of that by far by the time we get to that episode. Uh, go ahead, Michael. You're no, I was just going to say that this is this is definitely one. We have spent a good amount of time on this one, but this is definitely something we could talk a whole episode on. And actually, I, I, as we were talking, I think that it, it would be worth even having a, a front porch special edition where it was just, um, and we should arrange this, where it's just um, Brian, Dennis, and our buddy Pat all together, just the three, having a nice <laughs> side episode, just talking about, you know, book stuff with the movie stuff and just kind of going into that super nerdy fan thing. Can we, right? can we I, just record it at Fox? Can we just record it at Fox's house? <laughs> right, yeah. Where you just, you know, you just together. have have a time well, on the front porch. On. I, I, that's my time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad. To be here. Thanks you as always. You can find my podcast. Got him. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, I, I, I think that 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 will be like a front porch conversation. I think that that would be worth it to uh, to delve into um, more in depth with the three of you. Uh, but let, let's wrap this up because we we are at the end of our time here. Um, Thumbs I do up. Wanna... Just gave a quick thumbs up or thumbs down, whether you like this first season and are looking forward to the second one. Uh, don't have to go into depth. I'll start. I'll say that I liked it overall. It could have been better. It definitely could have been better. I don't think that it's uh, the top of its tier right now. I'd put it at a seven overall. Uh, better than average, but not like a stellar. I am definitely looking forward to the second season because I think that they can only get better. Amazon has invested mm -hmm. a lot of money in this. I don't see any reason why they're not going to continue that that thing. Uh, and I think that will, like we see in a lot of shows where the first season they're finding their way, I, I, I think the second season will continue on getting better. And I actually look forward to that. And then hopefully they'll learn their lessons from the things that we've taught them. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Um, I give this a one out of ten. I will continue watching. <laughs> I like pain. <laughs> I, I love disappointment. Thank you. I I did like it. I was going to watch it with my wife. I I find no reason to force her to watch it now. I don't think she would get into it. I don't see why mm. a non-reader would get hooked into these people. Uh, most of them, I watch. And I'm like, I like these people because I'm projecting what I know of the. The, the series onto the people mm. that I don't just like. Other than I do like Man at Land and Marine. I'm looking forward to seeing how they play out the Great Hunt. The Great Hunt's the name of the second book. Um, they haven't touched into all the politics. I mean, they don't in the books they didn't even touch the White Tower until book two, where you really get in depth politics stuff, which you, which would feel more Game of Thronesy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, really get into in 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 the books that they the, haven't on the show at all. So the, maybe. They could go that way. I don't know, though. The good news is, time. yeah, the good news is they don't need to hunt for the horn now. So Yeah, they do. Right. Uh, Fox, what do <laughs> you think? Fain, thumbs up, Pain, thumbs down? Pain, good. Pain yes, took, bad? He took it, yeah. He, he took it at the end, so. <laughs> let, let Brian finish. Where you oh, sorry, I didn't hear it. That gives, sorry. That gives it cut out chance. for me. I, I apologize. We're 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 nerding out down here. It's a it's a nitpick in the story. In the in the <laughs> books, nobody knows where the horn of Valier is. That's the the box that is uh, under the, the stones or whatever in the palace in the very last episode when Baron and Loyal go like, well, we don't want to fight. What can we do to help? And they're like, help us dig. And then uh, the peddler Pot and Fane comes back and kills everybody and takes the box uh, that has the horn 
to call the heroes. It's it's like one or two lines of dialogue. I wouldn't be surprised if you missed it. But it's a big deal in the books that nobody knows where it is. And so there are constantly like uh, groups of people they call hunters that are going looking for it. They're hunting for it. It's sort of like a, um, uh, a spiritual pilgrimage yeah. um, kind but, of but or, it was, or crusade. In the, books, kind of. in the books, it's at the eye of the world. So. Right. Right. Grand's battle at the end is where they find it after the battle. Yeah, that's a right. So it's like that's a thing I alluded to earlier, where the the ending of the series is very different from the books. In the books, the whole group goes there and they find some various artifacts. One of those is the horn. So I guess technically, they find the horn at the end of the book, just like they do at the end of the series, except it's not in the hands of. No, they, they, a, they've just cut. They've fan. just cut four or five chapters out of the first of the second book. The second book, right? Yeah. They've, yeah. they've just started the chase early. Not a big deal. I sure, I do have true. a low. I, I didn't get to say lows. I just want to say I don't feel like there are any stakes in the show. Nynaeve heals a bunch of people halfway through. All of a sudden, she's got all this magic power and she heals people. All yeah, these people are coming back to life, and I I, I I I worry they pull that trigger so much that like later on, it's like well. Who cares? Everybody mm. comes back to life. That's valid. Yeah, this Very is valid. this sort of a sort of a spoiler for the series, but the the major difference, and I'm sure that I've said this on the podcast before, the major difference between these two book series was that um, Jordan almost never permanently killed anybody, and uh, George R. R. Martin in, in A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, very much did. I mean, you know, Ned Stark fairly early on. Um. Anyway. Uh, Fox. What yeah, I'll you? be. I'll once again be brief. Um, <laughs> I, I see mostly the potential more than I saw the realization yeah. of the vision or probably the genius that that was the books. Um, I, you know, the fan in me thinks, well, if I have other people around me who enjoy this material, it's fun to have the conversation, and sometimes that's okay. I think, and I want to. I want to acknowledge that that there are lots of people doing what we're doing and having conversations about it and describing mm. the lore. And for me, if I can use this as a way to engage in my friends and loved ones who absolutely adore this material, that's all I need and want from it. The writer side of me would probably say, well, you know, I could do this better, that better, and get very, very, you know, mm. analytical. But I, as I said before, I see more reasons on both sides of those coins, the writer and the friend, to continue the series. So I hope others do the same. Right. Uh, okay, Dennis, pull us home. Thumbs up. Last, oh, last I, comment I, for the day. I, I, I guess I haven't done my own. Um, overall positive. You know, I, I watched it twice. I had, a lot of, I had a lot of issues the first time, but there were definitely little little breadcrumbs here and there that you know gave me gave me a little bit of you know the the feelings i got at certain points listening to the audiobooks because the audiobooks have those moments where the the narrator gets you know fired up into whatever is going on characters shouting and speaking the old tongue or whatever um so i think i don't know i really i'm i'm somewhere in the neighborhood of like five to six and again uh, you know, optimistic for for season two. I did. I don't. I don't know if anybody has any anything for this, but um, does anybody have a prediction or big hope for for season two that you that you 
are, are looking forward to think think they might do or hope they might do anything like that what about you fox um i guess you know i i, I did google this because i was wondering if they were going to have more episodes for season two mm. than season one the internet currently thinks no but i don't know mm. there's any reason to believe that um sure I don't know that Amazon has put out an official statement. So if you if you gave me my um, my hope, it's that to have faith in the audience. And by that I mean, think that they're gonna they'll stick with you on this journey if you want to let it um, ferment and grow a little bit more mm-hmm. than the showrunners allowed it to do in season one. Trust that we will get invested in this. If you have good storytelling and you have good characters and you do slow world building. We don't need as much action as you think we do. Um, mm. You know, I think that's sort of my takeaways. I believe that they tried to have this old formula of, well, we need the characters to have a little bit of romance every episode, a little bit of comedy, and a little bit of action every episode. You don't need that. I think we've seen, especially from um, certain Disney Plus episodes, that sometimes you could slow things down considerably. And if you world build, you are much better at much better odds to hook in the audience. So that's my hope going forward. Hmm. That's good. Uh, Michael? Uh, I don't I don't really have any, like... Because, again, I don't know where they're going with it. I think Brian's comment about the stakes, like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of threat. I mean, there's those Trollocs, and they're, they're, they're scary. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to expect or what even to think about the, the next season. Um it's gonna be. This is gonna sound terrible saying it, but like, when it was over, I didn't have like a feeling of like, oh, I can't wait till next time. I just was like, okay, that was that. Um, so because I don't I'm, even know. I don't. I don't know. Okay, Rand's a dragon, cool, and I guess he's got to fight this person called like the bad guy, the dark one, or something like that, which we already saw, and he kind of already defeated. So hmm. that, that, that's what I said. You kind of felt like that was the story, and it's over, and we're done. Right. Obviously, it's not, but that's the right. way I feel. So I don't really know what to even expect or think about season two. And there wasn't enough time with any of the world to really get like, you know, oh, I want to go back to this place and find out what's happening in King's Landing. You know, like I, sure. I don't know enough. So sure, yeah. Uh, Brian, do you have anything that's not a spoiler? Um, I am looking forward to. I, I want them to give us a map. Um, I know the stuff in my head, but <laughs> I mean, the opening I, of 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 Game of Thrones was perfect. They did with it the and, map, and, yeah. You know, just tell the people where we're at. You know, the, the the ending of the the last episode says the far western shore. That doesn't mean anything if you don't know that Tarvalen's on the, you know, pretty far east. Right, right. right. I had a, um, and, and we've talked about this before in chat because I listened to audiobooks. I didn't have a book in my hands with with maps in it um it's not possible that when rand uh climbs up out of the blight and looks off in the distance is he seeing the spine or does that no, not work from it no because they geographic. walk there so it's okay. not i mean it's yeah right the yeah. other world's supposed to be able to move and it finds you you don't find it but well um, yeah 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 but like he sees a mountain range and i wasn't sure if that was like a foreshadowing thing that i didn't see no i think okay. that would be yeah. that that would be um the other way that would be the pit yeah to the right t- to the east yeah no north further north further north right 
And now you guys um, are getting into some deep stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some deep I'm stuff. Uh, you said, you said, you said, um, number two. Uh, I said Matt, Map, Matt. Whoever they recast as Matt Cawthorn, I, I hope he does a phenomenal job. That's a character that needs to be played a certain way. And um, yeah, we I didn't just really hope they cast that that well. Number three, right. I want to see Andor. I don't know why it's the it's one of the main right. and the capital and the palace and. Number four, I want to see a dark friend social. I want to see how they do that. <laughs> That's it. Nice. Not not Andor. And uh, Andor, not, not Andor yeah. with with an A. It's the it's the nation that the Two Rivers is part of. Also, the first town that they come to, the small you know kind of Martinsville sized town called Bearlawn, which in the books is where they meet Min, who doesn't show up until uh, until the Borderlands. That goes back to my. Uh, issue with with diversity casting and that the the borderlanders all look like the same people group which i think is good i don't necessarily mind what people group it is just people in a specific place should look the same whatever i've harped on that enough um for me for the next you know this was my question and i don't know what i can say to this that is not a spoiler. I have some specifics. Um, I also, of course, hope uh, I've heard, uh, I want to say Donal Finn, he was in The Witcher, but I don't remember who he played in The Witcher, is is rumored to have been cast as as Matt. This one of the, I mean, aside from other, you know, I think missteps or, or mistakes that were intentional, a big problem with the last two episodes with the, they, was that they lost Barney Harris. Uh, to play Matt. We didn't really talk about that, but his performance was very good. The only thing I didn't like about it was them, the writers seeming like they wanted us to think he could be the dragon, which of course doesn't mean anything to me. Um, and, and, and felt, you know, awkward, but his like mixture of sort of mischievousness and, and, and desperation really, really well. Um, and, you know, sad that he's gone and hope that uh whoever they get to replace him um um does just as well um i hope that we get more time to um maybe become invested in the characters like i know the characters as as brian said so so i'm sort of uh grafting that on to some of these actors performances i was very lukewarm on almost all of the cast except for lan and moraine and tam um as mentioned uh, uh maria kennedy who plays the tinker like all of the young cast almost none of them worked for me and when i watched it again and i paid more attention to uh zoe robbins naive and her nonverbal face acting and the interactions between her and lan um that was really good. I even started to warm to, um, I'm not gonna remember the name, the actor's name, but, uh, the guy playing Rand, um, I didn't like him for a long time, but I think he's doing the best he can at, at bringing to life the character from the books. I think um, he's Hayden Christensen. <laughs> right. I was just right. going to say, Rand needs to go down to the Tachi station and pick up some power. Right. He's, but... he's playing that kind of character. So it's, he, it's sort of, you know, not a, not supposed to be super sympathetic or likable from the beginning. Josh um, Stradowski, in case he's listening. Stradowski. Um, Stradowski. 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 
Stradowski. It's tough. Joshua Stradowski. That's what I that's what I said. Um <laughs> and uh who's who am, who am I leaving out? Oh, uh Perrin, the actor playing Perrin, I felt like it, it that dude my, feels my, like he's got no no expressions. I just don't get anything. Yeah, my my short version of that performance is wasted potential. I feel like there's so much there he could have done and I, you know, I know some of what happens to the character in the books if they stay true to a lot of that stuff. So I'm optimistic for that, for all of that. I hope that um those actors cuz they all seem like competent actors i hope they're given more to work with and 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 time to to let those characters in shi- let those characters shine in a way that's not just awkward inadequate love triangle stuff yeah. i don't know right. well i think we got it we got it a lot tonight there's a whole, <laughs> whole bunch going on here like i said look, look for more in the future with a the front, another talk on the front porch uh, side side show where we'll get the three of the, the hardcores on there. Maybe yeah, we'll maybe we'll even wait but, the next but, season. But audience, if you petition, you get enough signatures. Maybe <laughs> you really, you really, really like it, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there's there's a lot of big fans out there for, for this. It's obviously been a long time. So, uh, guys, thanks for for coming on tonight to chatting with us. With us, uh, trying to pack a lot into a little bit of time, but yeah, uh, appreciate yeah. the two of you coming on. All right. You've been listening to The Front Porch. This is episode 228. Uh, Thanks so much to our friends, Fox and Brian, for being here with us to talk about Wheel of Time and other things. Uh, If you want to reach out to us with suggestions for things we should watch and discuss, uh, you can do that via email. Our address is frontporchpod at gmail.com. And if you go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, there are contact forms there you can use. There's a schedule for our uh, movie of the week not really schedule, but a list of our, our movie of the week uh, that we are going to watch and discuss. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. I, I do be Brian. May you find water and shade. <laughs> and I'm Fox. For Front Porch. Night, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.